Welcome to the Adventure Mechanics. I'm Chandler. I'm Devin. And I'm Tom. And today we'll be talking about a classic adventure game from, what was it, like 1992? So this is The Dagger of Amun-Ra. It was uh, released in 1992 on floppy disk and 1993 in CD-ROM, apparently. Um, it was developed and published by Sierra Online. And this is a game about the titular Laura Bow, which this is her second showing in the series. Um, the first one being the Colonel's Bequest. There's a few mechanics that we'll talk about later that go between the two games. But yeah, this is a classic point and click adventure game. Do we want to go over the story real quick? Yeah, I think I think story first. Yeah, that okay. makes sense. Yeah. yeah, and then we'll kind of go over the history of the game. Because yeah. there's actually kind of some interesting stuff on this. The 90s were crazy. <sighs> they were. Yeah. So, the story for The Dagger of Amun-Ra starts in 1926. Laura Bow is a new graduate from Tulane University, freshly hired at the New York Daily Register News Tribune as a reporter. From now on, I'm just calling it the Trib. She's a Southern Bale. Laura Bow, sir, and I believe you have the advantage. Yeah, uh, she is definitely a Southern Belle in this one. And as soon as she arrives in New York, uh, she is robbed of all of her possessions. Her luggage is taken away, her extra cash is stolen, like right at the train station as soon as she steps off. And she's uh, barely even upset about it. Yeah, undaunted. You would say, um, <laughs> yeah, like not even not even really brought up ever again. <laughs> yeah, just never brought up. Undaunted, she makes her way directly to her new uh, job at the red at the trib. Uh, her boss, Sam Augustini, initially doesn't even recognize who she is. Laura has to remind him of the promise that uh, he made to her father, and he assigns Laura to the case of a missing ceremonial blade called the Dagger of Amun-Ra um, that recently happened at the Liondecker Museum. To kind of get some more background on the case, she goes to her co-worker, Crodfaller Rhubarb, which is probably one of the worst names I've heard in a long time. I mean... It's unforgettable. We'll go with that. Yeah, uh, well, that, that's a word for it. <laughs> definitely unforgettable. Um, to get caught up on the case. Laura then goes to the police station to interview the uh, detective working the case. A Detective Ryan O'Reilly. Sure and Bigora, I'm Detective O'Reilly. What would you be wanting then, lass? He's not particular, particularly helpful in giving her information on the case, though. He's very stereotypical, though. Yeah, I think everybody yeah. is. I think oh, yeah, this yeah. this entire Everyone's game is huge... the game of tropes. Uh, stereotypes. <laughs> yeah, I would go with that. Yeah. So, Laura actually talks to the desk sergeant to get information about a speakeasy that she heard from Codfaller. And she goes there and meets with a stool pigeon called Lawrence Ziggy Zigfield. Are you Ziggy? Who sent ya? Um, also a great name. Yeah, very unforgettable. With a very unforgettable voice. Whoa. Oh my god. 
No kidding. We'll, we'll get to that one later for sure. <laughs> Maybe we can even, uh, is it possible to cut a couple like clips of some of these voices into the podcast? Because I feel like people would appreciate that. I think I could do that. I yeah. think I could do that. <laughs> yeah. It's worth it. It's it's worth it. Yeah. it It's something. Ziggy gives her some information on the people working the, at the museum. She then goes to a another lead that she got at the laundry cleaners run by a man called low fat you can guess what accent they used on that one yes please i was just wondering uh, do you work here yes take it please yeah and it's definitely Ugh. not at all insulting offensive or problematic so yeah once she gets there lofat gives her the names of a few more people and laura's able to acquire uh some formal wear to take to the formal event being held at the museum as well um i'm kind of just glossing over a lot here there's a lot of dialogue in each of these sections and if you're yeah there's a lot of dialogue and a lot of like typical adventure game nonsense like puzzles like <laughs> yeah. to just get to this point in the game um <laughs> yeah yeah so, that's uh sorry that's oh uh yeah that's gonna be part of this it's like we're going over like broad strokes here not not like the whole story yeah. um oh be... and if you didn't want to be spoiled uh now is the time to go play the game yourself because this is literally like the first 20 minutes bit of the game so yeah yeah, yeah. and the, yeah. the game does kind of begin a little bit slowly this is the slow part it's about to get to the uh, fast might be a strong word <laughs> it's kind of fast uh, faster uh well you actually get to the plot so there we go yeah, yeah. I guess it gets you could say interesting yeah yeah we'll go with that <clears throat> Yeah. Um, yeah. So once she has the formal wear, Laura then takes a cab to the event being held at the museum. There she's able to question all of the people that are the shakers and movers and the future suspects. We'll, we'll call them. At the door, she's greeted by a Wolf Heimlich. This affair is by invitation only, Fräulein. Your papers, please. The former German soldier and current chief of security. Uh, as she enters the museum, uh, the first thing she sees is a small group of people talking. One of them being Dr. Archibald Carrington III. Good evening, Miss Bow. Good evening. Who is, a new, who is the newly hired president of the museum. In the center of this group is the, his secretary, Yvette, who is generously described as the amorous French uh, secretary. Bonjour, Miss Beau. I'm Yvette Delacroix. Yeah, she's she's problematic. <laughs> Very. But also somehow one of the more interesting characters in the game. Yeah. In some ways. Yeah. I don't know. I, she was actually kind of my, my favorite character character in this but we'll we'll get to that (laughs) yeah i feel like some potential was lost in her character but but anyway go on also in that group is dr pippin carter i'm an important curator with an important salary the arrogant and haughty man who discovered the dagger of amun ra 
With them is the Egyptian accountant, Ramses Najir. I am Ramses Najir, Miss Bo. Pleased to make your acquaintance. Who has a very noted lisp and is not uh, hard to read at all if you don't yeah the game the game feels the need to uh pronounce the lisp in the text so yeah if, if you're if you're playing this without the audio which is perfectly doable just remember he's got a lisp and that's gonna be hard for you to get to <laughs> yeah but and one of uh, the people that Laura already knows is with them as well. Uh, one of the people named Ziggy. As she moves her around this reception, she also runs into Detective O'Reilly with a, the Dr. Olympia Miklos. Oh, good evening, Miss Bo. And Dr. Patahepshet. I'm pretty sure I mis- mispronounced that. Tut. <laughs> The game probably did too, to be fair, so... I find it distasteful to celebrate thievery in the name of science. Okay, granted, but his (laughs) nickname is Tut Smith. (laughs) Olivia Miklos is Greek and has a fascination with blood, and she's the curator at the museum. Tut Smith is a visiting curator from the Egyptian Museum attempting to repatriate the dagger to its rightful home also in the reception laura runs into the countess lavinia waldorf carlton good evening miss bow i'm the countess lavinia waldorf carlton the widow of the former president of the museum there are other people at the reception but you cannot interact with them those are the main people that you will be interacting with for the rest of the game while going around meeting people, Laura can also eavesdrop in on conversations. While she's doing this, she runs across somebody that she encountered while wandering around the city, a uh, stevedore named Steve Dorian. Ha ha ha. Good morning, miss. I'm Steve Dorian. <laughs> He's a local The game doc- is full of those, if you haven't noticed already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that. He's a local dock worker and the Ken doll assigned as Laura's love interest in this game. And Ken doll is about as accurate a description as you can imagine. He looks like a Ken doll and he acts pretty much like a Ken doll. So you already know his entire personality. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's working as a dock worker, but is also going to college for a art degree of some sort he asks to meet laura privately outside and confesses that he got tickets to this exclusive event just so he could see her again when they go back into the museum many of the people have dispersed laura is then free to wander around the museum and comes across the egyptian exhibit on the floor by one of the sarcophagi laura finds a puddle of blood as she opens up, the screen cuts to her screaming in terror in a very artistic way, only to find the first murder victim, Dr. Pippin Carter, jammed into the sarcophagus. Alerted by Laura's screams, Detective O'Reilly rushes into the room and begins interrogating her. After the interrogation, all the visitors are corralled back into the main hall and questioned. The custodian, Ernie Leach, 
informs Laura that she's free to wander the museum, but the doors are locked, meaning everybody's stuck in here until it's uh, declared they're free to go. E.g. Clue. Yes, this is... I'm not stuck in here with you. You're stuck in here with me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Being trapped in there, Laura's free to wander around the museum and overhears museum conversations between museum staff members. She's also very subtle anytime she's listening in. Yes. Um, You get this lovely little animation of her, like... I don't know. I don't even know how to... How would you describe that? Putting... your hand to your ear like you're trying and, to catch and a baseball and <laughs> making it really really painfully obvious that you're listening to somebody yeah 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 like if you're trying so. to make sure the people that you're listening to know you're listening to them that's what that that's what she does every single time it's great she's a very good detective yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> reporter reporter she's kind of a detective in this though i mean she's doing some kind of in- investigative reporting i guess this isn't her first. Yeah, moment. I mean, you you really, you really kind of in yeah. this game don't play it as a reporter. It's more like she's called a yeah. reporter, but what you're really doing is you're a detective. As yeah, far as the it's, gameplay it's goes. sort of in the in the cozy mystery um, tradition. Yeah. Of you know, amateur sleuth has a completely different job. Isn't trained to be a detective, but she's solving the crimes. Exactly. Yeah. In the conversations that Laura's overhearing. She hears multiple men on the staff pining for Yvette and Yvette pining for them. Oh, so many. Yeah, there's there's a lot of thirst going around. We'll, we'll <laughs> put it that way. <laughs> Mutual thirst. Yes, it is definitely consensual on both sides. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Many of the staff <laughs> spill motives for wanting to murder various people during these quote unquote private conversations where Laura's listening in through a glass that she took from the reception. During the wandering, Laura comes across the second corpse, which is a headless body impaled under one of the pterosaur exhibits. Um, (laughs) Specifically, the beak is going through the torso. Laura wanders around a bit to find the head in an adjoining room on display in the Life Masks exhibit. I still want to know exactly how all of that worked out. Like, did the did the terror or the the dinosaur beak go into the neck during the decapitation, or did someone shove it in after? That never made I, sense to me. <laughs> easier to cut off someone's head when they're dead. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, there's there's some <laughs> questions on the on the yeah, murders. I mean, regardless, the the methods of murder in this game are. <laughs> inventive yeah but also i have a lot of questions i have so many questions oh we'll go we'll get into that one absolutely but as laura found the headless body or the head to the body i should say um she once again screams in terror bringing in o'reilly and wolf heimlich to interrogate her this time however they do not remove the body or the head they are there for the rest of the game for you to just casually walk by. Yeah. It's just really weird and macabre, especially the head. <laughs> that part yeah. really bothered me. <laughs> it's just Yeah, we'll we'll get to the how casual this gets with murder. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> it's people don't even care after a while. It's, oh. There's not a body. That. Another yeah. one. Like, oh, 
Another one. Yeah, <laughs> even the game, like, on a meta level, like, the game itself just doesn't give a fuck. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, anyway, continue. Continue yes. with the yes. story. It's yeah. getting good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll put good in quotes. Uh, Laura eventually wanders downstairs to the alcohol preservation lab and overhears that there is something stuck in one of the vat's filters. She investigates and finds the dagger of Amon Ra. And that's was it. Hidden. That's the game. That's it. Yeah. Um, she found it anyway. That's. Uh... Oh, wait, there's yeah. more. No. no, she's still locked in. She's still in lo- <laughs> locked in with all the murder. <laughs> It, and that da- dagger was hidden in the boar vat. She wanders back up, only to find another corpse, this time impaled on a stuffed porcupine in Carrington's office. Which left me with even more questions than en- probably any other ga- body in the whole game. That, that yeah. one confounded it's me. It's an amazing piece of art, too. It like, is. The porcupine also looks incredibly confused about how this happened. <laughs> Which is <laughs> impressive, considering it's already... You know, stuffed and dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that is very true. <laughs> it looks violated. Interestingly enough, though, neither Wolf nor O'Reilly come to confront Laura about the body, despite her screaming about it once uh, about finding another body once again. Laura explores the office, uh, Carrington's office, and finds some information that points towards the culprit being the widow. Uh, Countess Lavinia Waldorf Carlton. As she wanders around, she comes across a lead that the paintings hanging in the old master's gallery are counterfeit and goes to confront the countess as she tries to pawn off some of the real paintings. The countess denies killing anyone and justifies it by being a cash cow. Why would she want to kill anybody when she's making off like a bandit with all of these paintings she's got a whole plot there that i'll tear into later as she ends this steve finds laura outside yvette's office and <laughs> like a good ken doll um lets her know about the forged paintings not only late but after she's already confronted the countess about it but Yvette whisks away Steve before he has any more time to talk to Laura. Flustered by Yvette's advances on her love interest, Laura storms downstairs for a meeting between two people that does not happen, considering they're both dead. When she returns (laughs) to Yvette's office, she finds evidence of a struggle. One of Yvette's shoes is on the floor and... Her desk is in tatters. Laura then wanders around and finds a strange, wet new sculpture in the old master's gallery. <laughs> yeah, this, this, sorry, she, go on. <laughs> she takes her trusty dinosaur bone, cracking open the statue to find Yvette's corpse, goes and confronts Wolf and Riley, uh, O'Reilly about this, and once again is accused of murder. But, being accused of murder doesn't mean that she's not free to wander about. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. Like, why do you keep killing go? people anyway? Um, yeah, we, I'm gonna just, go over we here. Think you did it, but okay, you keep wandering around. It's fine. Have yeah. a nice day. Let me know when you kill someone else. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> she wanders around and ends up in front of the office of Doctor Miklos, who just casually mentions that she's looking for the detective because 
the countess is dying on her desk very casually oh like very 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 casually <laughs> yeah <laughs> can't even be bothered to do anything about it yeah so dr miklos wanders off to try to find the detective and Laura goes in to see the Countess's final moments and investigate the body once again. Uh, yeah, I don't know if we've mentioned it yet, but um, every time someone dies, Laura likes to like dig around in the pockets of the corpse. Yeah. Um, which is weird. <laughs> yeah, when that's... I see someone die, my first instinct isn't, I wonder what they have in their pockets. <laughs> yeah. Especially... Especially when you consider that the game itself doesn't let Laura touch a lot of other things that are definitely, like, not as bad as rifling the pockets of a dead person. Oh, yeah. Like, especially a dead person with no head, you know, all, all of, you know, one that's, like, you know, coated in plaster, you, you know. Every yeah. time you click on something you're not supposed to, you get this, don't touch that! And it's, like, this really weird, like, kind of accusatory thing. Don't touch it. You don't know where it's been. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then... And then there's a horrifying, like, defiled corpse that is, like, dismembered. And it's like, oh, touch that. Touch touch it everywhere. Touch everything. Make sure you aren't missing anything because something could be hidden in the corpse and you wouldn't want that. <laughs> I just... <laughs> Why? I, I just realized I missed a murder in there. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, wait. Before was, the, she... was, was that the, the suit of armor murder? Uh, no, no, that was actually where the, uh, quote unquote coroner put the first body was in the suit of armor. Oh yeah. B before oh, right. uh, Laura <laughs> found Yvette's body and before she found the plot of the, of the paintings being stolen, um, she did run across the body of the janitor Ernest. I think. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. He was There's so many bodies I totally forgot about him. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like there's a uh disturbed <laughs> song about letting the bodies hit the floor or something. <laughs> yeah, he his corpse was laid casually on top of the tusks of a mammoth skeleton. Oh uh, yeah. Laura notes that his body reeks of alcohol and although wet seems to dry quickly. So he was likely drowned in one of the alcohol vats. Yep. After Laura finds the last body of the Countess, as she's leaving the office of Dr. Miklos, she's spotted by a cloaked figure, which could only mean she found the murderer. Yes. She runs away from the figure and ends up in a secret room deep in the museum. There's a whole chase scene here that I'm going to gloss over because it is insane. Like, as a if you're playing it, you will probably die without a walkthrough multiple times. Just yeah, so. yeah. your timing has yeah. to be very, very, very careful. Yeah, and hilariously, you pick up a mummy and use it as a way to jam a door shut. As you do. Don't touch this. Do. Yep, gotta jam that <laughs> mummy door, though. <laughs> but in this secret room deep in the museum, uh, she stumbles upon a cult to the god Ra and is quickly captured. She's able to answer Ra's riddle using the Rosetta Stone evidence that she got to translate. And, and specifically, you have to know that information. <laughs> yes. Yep. She yes, doesn't it. do it. You do that. So, yes. yeah. <laughs> Make sure you grab the Rosetta Stone information. That is yes. important. 
Once she's released, she runs to the boiler room and finds Steve unconscious in the coal chute. She awakens him and gives him his boot. I don't know why, but he has to have that boot. Yeah, literally, you don't put the boot on him, and he dies? Yep. Um, the floor is too hot. Because <laughs> uh, that's how things work <laughs> that, that's that's how heat works like never mind rubber soles you know? <laughs> that scene yeah. bothered me so much i just i i don't know that was yeah that just there's... seemed forced and stupid where you're just kind of well, like you're just being cruel at this point game that was <laughs> that was well, just messed up <laughs> it's just like the game's like <laughs> like i hope you bought a guide <laughs> What did you think you were playing? A LucasArts game? No. <laughs> we'll get to the serial logic once I'm done. Like we're at the we're at the almost to the climax. This is here. The, this is basically the climax. Yeah. 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 This this is like the climax of the game. Yeah. So she gives him his boot. He helps her move a statue or like a stone inscription covering a chute. And they're able to climb out through one of the T-Rex exhibits. Yeah, apparently somehow. the T-Rex is somehow, yeah, connected through the floor to a chute. Despite there being no room for any of that, because the T-Rex is clearly like a full-on T-Rex with skinny, you know, legs and nothing around it for, anyway. Yeah, yeah, there's, uh. there's, some, there's some problems. <laughs> being followed by the murderer... Laura and Steve are able to trap the murderer in the mouth of the T-Rex that they just came out of. The game then cuts to the coroner's office without revealing who the murderer was, where Laura is getting grilled by the coroner for who did what and for what reason. That yeah. means if you weren't taking notes, you're probably going to fail this section. Yes, because apparently the reporter's job is to do the detective's job for him. Yeah, well, they, that's that's a secret. Um, <laughs> depending on the Laura, the answers Laura gives and the evidence she's collected, the players will see a number of endings. These range from Laura getting shot in her sleep for being completely wrong to being <laughs> the best reporter of the trip. And that is a quick rundown of the Dagger of Amon Ra's story. But who was it? Who was the murderer? Spoiler! It was Detective O'Reilly! <laughs> <laughs> the logic on it doesn't really follow, but... Yeah, it it's incredibly convoluted, and... Uh, yeah. Basically, have a guide, um, and just do what the guide says, because when I watched... Because we watched Chandler play this game uh, all together, and when I watched the answers get answered and they went through all of that stuff and there's like this person did that and that person did that i was like what I, why, <laughs> why <that> I don't... <laughs> to cover up another crime to cover up another crime and it's like oh my oh. god that answer was used like four times yeah yes. it's like all of the murders except for the first one were to cover up the first murder yeah, yeah, and also, but how, none of it why? really made a lot of sense. Like, the one whole was time... for jealousy. One was for jealousy. I will give him that. Yes, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, there, which, there was uh, the initial murder, uh, and then there was one for jealousy. Uh, we'll put it this let way. Me just though, state, uh, let me just state for the record that Detective O'Reilly is one jealous bitch. <laughs> and he did not like Yvette being in an open relationship with him. Mm-hmm. 
you do overhear that that him just straight up threatening to murder her if she sleeps around yvette being the the person the thirsty lady that she is well she's (laughs) thirsty but like she takes it as a joke like he's making a joke about it oh yeah and yeah she doesn't take it as a serious threat yeah which is quite unfortunate because honestly she's one of my favorite characters in this game next to laura walking in on people (laughs) simply because laura walking in on people they gave her some of the best art expressions like the her reacting to people in being in hot and heavy into things and laura walking in like reacting is hilarious like (laughs) just the face the facial expression like you don't really know what laura's thinking in that moment but mm, very very well done art (laughs) it's kind of weird because like I think Laura's character, when you first meet her, I mean, she's improbably thirsty. I mean, she she hits on every moving object in the entire game. Male, female. Yvette? <laughs> yeah, Yvette, not Laura. Or yeah, sorry, not Laura. Yeah, Yvette, sorry. Yeah. But somehow, so you expect her to be this, like, super two-dimensional, like, bad character. But she's probably the only character, at least in my opinion, that really has any depth. The rest of them are completely two-dimensional. There's, like, some interesting things happening in Yvette's story. I mean, Yvette is the only one that has conversations with people throughout the entire game. And I think that that's why we get a better picture of her. Because, like, otherwise there would be no dialogue in the game. (laughs) Yeah. If it wasn't for her, like, chatting with the guys that she's, you know, amorous with. Oh, boy. Amusingly oh enough, I think she does survive the, uh, what's that test of two women talking and not, res- oh. like, talking about a dude? The Bechdel test? Yeah. I think she actually survives the Bechdel test. Does she? I think she uh, does. I am not sure. I... I mean, that that's true because she's talking to men for the most part of the game. I think there's only one conversation she has with Laura. But she also has a conversation with uh, Dr. Miklos where she just makes a joke and then says, I have a problem. And the conversation cuts out from there. But it's a certain time frame that you have to have uh, talking about something other than you know, love yeah. interests, right? Yeah, the Bechdel test has, like, I think you're right. I think, I'll look it up. Yeah. While we're... But, yeah. That, I... is, that is actually interesting. If, if she did pass the Bechdel test, that would be... Fucking I, weird. That's why I'm, like, not sure that she does. Let me see. I would actually kind of feel like the Bechdel test needs to be rewritten. <laughs> yeah. Because, boy, like, at least initially when you first meet her, you're like, okay, so she's just the character that I, I think you're supposed to i don't know how the developers want it. are you supposed to lust after her uh, she... i mean like is she it's... supposed to be like the the fan service of the <sighs> game i feel like that's how they set her up right as a character because like even if you talk about um yvette to low fat he'll say um i don't kiss and tell and then he God. does his racist uh, <laughs> ha laugh. Yeah. yeah. This did we mention okay, how so problematic Be- this game is? It's problematic oh, on all the levels. Just just pick a level. It's problematic. 
so the Bechdel test at its base level is uh, it's usually applied to film, but it can be applied to anything. Sure. That the uh, in in the case of its original thing, the film has to have at least two women in it who talk to each other about something other than a man, and that's base level. And there are many variants that add time limits. Oh. Okay. Um, you know, either sixty seconds or you know five minutes, a whole scene. Um, it just depends, but it's at its base level. There is no timeline. It's just, they have to have, you know, two women must talk to each other about other than a man, um, other requirements, like they must be named or time. Uh, well, so, they're named and they and, do talk about something other than a man once at least. Yeah. Cause Yvette does pull a prank on, uh, Dr. Miklos and it's like, Hey, can you identify this bone for me? And Dr. Miklos is like, this is just a chicken bone. You grabbed it from the from the reception, didn't you? And um, Yvette's like, oh, yes, I did. I played a good joke on you, huh? Um, she, she's played as very French, so Z instead of the in the most yeah, American Yeah, I was going to say, and by possible. very French, we mean, like, if you misunderstand French, that's how she is. Which is how every single yeah. character is. Yeah. If the person is from a country, you just take the stereotype of that country twist it a little bit, make it kind of problematic and messed up, and voila! You have their personality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, the one thing I did not mention was some of the evidence you gather that points to uh, doc, uh, Detective O'Reilly being the murderer is grapes, which is mentioned that the grapes are something he uses to mask the smell of booze Did we mention he's breath? Irish? Uh, and his yeah. hair is red, yeah. and he has a very distinct Irish accent. And he's a cop! Anyway. <laughs> yeah, there's some problems. There's there's some problems. I mean, it's it's like they took everything and made it super yeah. shorthand. <laughs> like, oh, it, we need an Irish person. Uh, he's got really? a drinking problem. <laughs> that was the worst That's so creative. idea. Why did you do that? Why didn't you just say there's a potato in his fucking pocket? <laughs> like, seriously. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, everybody is a stereotype from, like, yeah, a the stereotype, 50s. But, like, stretched like... out. You know, like, most people are, are like, we all use stereotypes. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a human nature sort of thing. But most people, like, try when they're writing things to at least make an effort to not be too stereotypical. Imagine do, if do the opposite happened. I think that they, at least to try to like well, pretend that they're more of a writer than they are, you know, they'd be like, <laughs> well, this person is Irish, so obviously they like potatoes, but maybe this time they won't be drunk. <laughs> like, the game... I know, I just, but like... The game is like the opposite of that. It's like, well, this person's going to be Irish, so they have to be a cop. They have to have red hair. They have to talk with the super thick uh, accent and use, you know, I don't even know if he does, but I'm sure he does say things like lad and, and things like that. And then... Oh, lad, lass, and... <laughs> exactly. See, 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 And then let's see, what else do only, you know, Irish people always do? Because I've only seen one description of an Irish person once. They have <laughs> red know? hair. Yeah, it's it's basically he even has like yeah. a mustache that like has a little bit of a curl. I'm telling you, like just every stereotype, stretch that out. It's as if they're trying to write the stereotype. That's how every character is in this entire thing. 
<laughs> yeah, and like Ziggy's voice is very much. I'm like the the super annoying stool pigeon voice, and that feels like I just jammed nothing but cigarettes down my throat. And yeah, it's it it's painful to listen. Yeah, to. Yeah, that one's awful. And he's like a uh, criminal. Uh, he's yeah, he has ties to criminal enterprises, and I think he's actually helping uh, fence some stuff from the. I think that's museum. Correct. Like yeah, yeah. Like people are just stealing from this museum, like it's going out of. St- I out of I don't know if maybe this might be the moment to like insert some of the voices from the game if you can, just because I feel like they will drive this oh. point into the ground. That'll be how part it'll drive it home. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, I'll add some of the voices and kind of make it, <laughs> kind of get yeah. people a feel for the game. Also, I should also mention. Uh, not you know we mentioned earlier that the uh, the lisp is is written in in text. That's not the only thing they write in in text. If someone has an accent, they will intentionally misspell the word to make like phonically, but not phonically, like just to make it very obvious that there's an accent, and it usually makes it completely illegible and sound. It's it's bad. I don't know. Devin, you probably have more commentary well, on that. Well, <laughs> they, well, yeah, it's they. There's, it's really not necessary to. Like, I mean, I could see why so without. I can see why without voice acting, like you'd want to give some hint in the text that these characters talk differently. So, like Yvette yeah. having the stereotypical French accent where they spell everything with the Z, or you know things like that. Um, which I gotta take it. I gotta. I gotta point out that that is no, not how no, French really sounds. It's not. Everything's that, that's through the why fucking it's nose. Stereotypical French mm-hmm. accent. Yeah. If it's someone described girly, a French accent to you, very, but you've never very, actually heard it. Very feminine sounding <laughs> accent, and they have to, you know. So I get like why you would want to try and write out the dialect uh it becomes incredibly redundant with the voice acting which is part of the problem because then you're like trying to read the subtitles and you're like i can't read them because they've written out the lisp but i feel like (laughs) they take it to the nth degree anyway (laughs) with just the writing like there are ways like for example with yvette like having you know zay and zis you know like spelling it like that like okay but that that's fine then you kind of get the idea that she has an accent of some sort you know some of the you know sounds for um you know ramses with the lisp um you could put that in there to to give it though that like you know him having a lisp is is questionable but anyway but you know that that was his only (laughs) that's like his only character trait (laughs) is that he lisps but um yeah so it's it's they it's just not done well it's 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 just not done well and especially when you have the the voice actor to go with it it's it's no it just defeats the purpose of the subtitles yes and i think that they could also have toned down the accents in a lot of ways Mm. you know sometimes you have to use like stronger accents i feel like if you have like for instance one voice actor that's doing a whole bunch of characters um and you kind of want to like give a little bit more separation between characters, but the separation between these characters is is just to a comical level. Well, everybody's a cartoon, 
is yeah. is what they did is that they just yeah. made every single character, even Laura herself, a cartoon. Oh yeah, um, she's a cute little Southern belle from a small town that just doesn't know all this big I, city stuff. And you're just like, I, uh. I graduated from Tulane and now I'm going to New York to be a reporter. Oh, you do that so well. You could be Laura. <laughs> you know. You would probably do it better than the uh, people that used. Oh, I guarantee that you could do it better. <laughs> but that's a different conversation. <laughs> I mean, Laura has a very cute yeah. voice. Like, I, uh, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. I. You can I have, have characters with strong accents like I, that that are kind of memorable, but you don't yeah. want to have every character have right. a strong accent like that. <laughs> right, and everybody. Well, it's like you, it's in layers, right? Like you know. Not only are we lay, lay, laying into like you know this these cartoonish aspects where we're caricaturizing each character to make them stand out in the story, you know we're we're you know we're leaning into like you know ethnic and racial stereotypes. Yeah. We're laying into a bunch of other things. You know, it's there's it's just and then it gets big and and for like the story they're telling, it's. I don't know. I have I like I have mixed feelings about this. Like especially with Laura herself because Laura's not dumb or anything. Like and mm. and I wonder if they she's I I don't know, but there's sort of a thing like there's sort of a stereotype that people with very thick southern accents aren't smart. Like this is a stereotype you hear if, you know, yeah. people, men and women if they have a very thick accent. It it probably goes for many other accents, but I have heard it most often related to southern accent is that if you have a very thick southern accent, um people think you're stupid. Uh and and Laura has the way yeah, like that a... they did Laura's performance is she has this very thick accent, you know, the Southern Belle accent, and she has a very cute sounding voice. It's very dainty, feminine, you know, very young sounding voice. And it's and it, it kind of is at odds with the fact that she's, you know, not dumb. She might not be streetwise in New York, you know, um coming from a little town in the south though if she's going to Tulane like she's I, I, she's got to have some she's city have some, some city experience smarts. so i don't know i mean yeah new york's really different from like nolens but i'm just <laughs> saying so anyway but it's just it's kind of this weird this weird tension you get with all these cartoonish characters including the title character and what is the game really trying to say about anybody Except right. that it's all a cartoon, you know, like it's just entertaining, you know, because it feels a lot of times like Laura. And this is the nature of a point and click game, right? Is that it feels like as you're playing the game that Laura just kind of stumbles yeah. into stuff. Yeah. Like she's not necessarily looking for evidence, but she stumbles into it and then has evidence and then solves the mystery, which is like, well, but we have evidence that she actually is quite clever. To, to be so, fair, that might have been just me, the, the way I was playing it. Well, I, I don't necessarily think it's just that, because I, I watched another playthrough of it. I played a bit myself. I read a, a walkthrough. And it, it just... And, and this is, again, part of, like, the point-and-click mechanics of, like, you know, you go around and pick a bunch of shit up and then try it on things, you know, um, and try and make it work. Um, 
and and I feel like it's just that setup doesn't do a lot for characterization in the way that it's implemented here. Um, yeah, you know, oh. with with you know the characterization of of Laura herself, especially with this odd narrator that <laughs> don't touch it. You don't know where it's been. Yeah, which is like Pick a hardcore English, like proper English accent, and I don't know why. Yeah, and this narrator is so judgy. About oh my god! Literally <laughs> everything. It's uh, okay, and that goes so, on to a whole other topic. So yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, there is actually an interesting point that you bring up, though. Is this is Laura's second yeah. mystery, right? Mm-hmm. So she's don't already hang been out with through... Laura. She lots of people die around Laura. Apparently, that's that's the yeah. lesson I'm learning. Yeah, last time she went with her friend to deal with her friend's current, her friend's like great uncle dying in the colonel's bequest, and she literally runs across a pile of dead bodies, like literal pile. They just put them in yawned heap, um, sort of pile. So yeah, like this is Laura's second encounter with murder, right? And because it's her second game, they actually gave it to a different person. Um, than the first one, which was the first one was done by a uh, Roberta Williams of Sierra fame. And the, for the second one, they wanted to do another Laura bow mystery, but Roberta Williams was working on something else. So they actually hired a, another developer, Bruce uh, Balfour, who actually went through and was kind of the director for this, particular game he had a very dry sense of humor and apparently while writing a couple of the script writers would actually try and make it a competition to get bruce to laugh so that's kind of where the unevenness and the humor like seemingly out of place comes from because of like the credited writer um i don't have his name off the top of my head but um yeah the the credited writer was actually slated to be the director um, at first, but um, he wasn't quite up to doing it because he was actually slated to do a, another game, which was in the Leisure Suit Larry series. Oh, um, God! Except not only was it Leisure Suit Larry, but Leisure Suit Larry aimed at teenagers. So you Ooh. could imagine how horny that would have been. Um, uh, Wikipedia says that the writer credit is Josh Mendel yeah Josh Mendel he was actually slated to do the thank you Devin I appreciate you looking that up while I'm fumbling over here Um, (laughs) yeah but uh, Josh Mendel actually was slated to direct that Leisure Suit Larry and Bruce um, actually started doing the beginning of the Dagger of Amun-Ra well, about a few months into the other project, they uh, Sierra just killed the project and put Josh Mandel onto the Dagger of Amon-Ra project. Um, interestingly enough, I think the artist um, actually was also doing writing credits uh, for it. Um, I, I, I think it was a woman her. artist, right? I forget her name. Yeah, um, Cheryl Sweeney. Yeah. Okay. Thank yeah. you. And she actually was the one that kind of came up with the whole art style with it as well. But she and uh, Josh actually had the competition to try and make Bruce laugh. So that's kind of where, 
Yeah, hmm. that's where all that uh, unevenness in tone co- kind of comes from. I was gonna say because it's it's kind of it's kind of a cute idea that like they were trying to make him laugh, but really not a good idea on a product that's going to go out into the public where no one knows that. It kind of. I mean, it makes it funny in retrospect, but it's funny for the wrong reasons. There's just lots of these moments where you're like, what the, f-? you know, like, what am yeah. I looking at? Which yeah. breaks and... the serious tone of it and makes you not, I don't know. It 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 makes light of murder. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A lot. And not in ways that are like, it's not obviously funny. So you're just kind of like, it just leaves you confused. <laughs> Am I supposed to be laughing at this? Right. That's exactly the feeling most of the time. You're like, oh my god, what the hell? They couldn't have done that on purpose, right? Well, and I think, too, I haven't played The Colonel's Bequest. I don't know about it. But I think, you know, taking a step back and looking at the big picture, I mean, we've gone from a game that was written by a woman, you know, and did, did Roberta Williams direct Colonel's Bequest? Yes. Yes, she did. Okay. Um, yeah, so she wrote and directed it. And so we've moved from that to passing the project to a male writer and a male director. Uh, even if Cheryl was, was helping, like, that that's who's uh, majority that's who's credited. And I feel like that probably, yeah. too, has a lot to do with how the story and the characters are presented. Is this you don't different, say. Yeah. This different perspective one might say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't help but agree fully with that. Because um, there were many points in this game that I went, oh yeah, a dude wrote this. Yeah. As yeah. a dude, I can say there were many moments where I was like, oh man, a bro yeah. wrote this. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. It's <laughs> very, it's very uncomfortable in places too. Like with, oh. like, ooh, that's not... Mm-mm. A very well, you know, a bro is actually the wrong word to use. A very, very thirsty nerd wrote a lot of it. A yeah. very thirsty nerd who didn't understand how women work at all, or somebody who is just coming off of a leisure suit, Larry. Episode, oh, or that. That's a good point. That could explain it. Yeah. Why did I not part just immediately it. connect those two? Honestly, <laughs> so much makes more sense now about this game. Yeah, like everybody's uh, thirsty. Yeah, that's probably one of the side effects of working on Leisure Suit Larry. Like, just if if Yvette was out. like an actual person instead of a character, I'd be like, did they just did they just like drag her out of a Leisure Suit Larry you know game and just drop her directly into this? Because that would track. <laughs> I mean, if it was a Leisure Suit Larry, Yvette would be the protagonist. Let's be honest. and honestly that would be an interesting game but that's not the topic (laughs) no (laughs) because you know yeah can can we discuss briefly how upsetting it was okay so yvette like i said when you first meet her is like one of those characters where you just you just you have to every time she starts talking you're just like oh man like a man wrote this a very thirsty man wrote this and he thinks about Yvette at night, I can tell. Yeah. But then, later in the game, she starts to have a personality and becomes one of the more interesting characters and starts talking about her connections to all of these different people. And you're like, oh, she's kind of cool. I actually kind of like Yvette. She's interesting. 
she's definitely one of the more interesting people like Mm -hmm. she has a relationship and her true love is the janitor Uh uh-huh and she will actually confide in laura sorry that took way too long for me to remember uh (laughs) she'll confide in laura that uh oh yeah uh i'm just friends with uh your stevedore but ernie's the one i really care about and he's in trouble i need i need your help with this yeah yeah and she comes off very genuine with it like in like every interaction it's crazy it's it's also worth noting that uh ernie is a black man yeah that's a good point and that at this time her relationship with him is you know one of his verboten is yeah Yeah. <laughs> just straight up verboten like so the it, interesting choice on the writer's parts this, um to the game to bounces back and forth between like cringy problematic stuff where you're just like to like almost like you know uh i kind of care about this person yeah yeah and like wow yeah. you took a fairly progressive stance on that that's that's really cool and then instantly back into the cringe yeah um but it it's kind of interesting the other thing that really bothered me is like you get yvette like starts getting interesting and right about the time that she starts getting interesting they just kill her Mm -hmm. and her death is super anticlimactic you're just kind of like what well it's it's also like gruesome in in a a really like it's kind of gross it's gross it is (laughs) gross Detective O'Reilly, for for context of how she uh, was murdered, um, Detective O'Reilly strangled her with her scarf and then covered her in plaster. Yep, as a to make her look like a sculpture, which is just what? Yeah, like, like yeah. posed, posed, and everything. Like yeah. not just, and then he dumped plaster over her, like he posed her in a kind of what I am assuming is it, it kind of looks like it's supposed to be a provocative. Kind it's of a it's stands. a parody of uh what is it venus yeah without the arms mm-hmm. St- um i'll find the name of that oh, statue venus, venus de milo yeah i think it yeah. is venus de milo and this is again where the game just is macabre like <laughs> you're just like yeah. what the and i think it's also worth noting this is probably from the laser suit larry influence as well but you get these weird moments too like when you're looking at her corpse, you can, like, if you click on her cleavage, it comments on her cleavage, and like, I think her skin tone and like other, it just comes off very creepy. Yeah, it's really creepy. The, the <laughs> very cleavage creepy. was the line on that one. Like, I, I will forgive like the weird skin comments because, well, earlier like on the first murder, you can have Laura like pet the dude's tongue. Yeah, which um, what <laughs> hard pass on that i'm not sticking my hand in a corpse's mouth no offense to the corpse yeah. um but my hands just don't go there but like the cleavage was that really necessary you've already over sexualized yvette do, do yeah, you need it's... to do it in death like yeah. do you really need to cross that line well yeah. and it also comes across like you know from you know the however however that's put together behind the scenes and just someone going <laughs> well we need to have something special here because people are definitely going to click on our boobs 
It's the <laughs> male gaze. Yeah. 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 It's just That's really disgusting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, Which, but it, it's also incredibly weird because, again, the line is delivered by this, like, super proper British voice. It's yeah. almost funny. I mean, it's kind of funny. Like, when you click on it, it's like, that's a vet's cleavage. And you're like, ah, uh, what? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, well, why did you record that line, first and yeah. foremost? Uh, <laughs> what? What is happening? <laughs> Yeah, uh, maybe that was one of those moments where they were trying to make the director laugh, and they just didn't realize that they had crossed one, well, three, five too many lines. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, and that's something that you actively have to seek out too, because if you're not clicking on a cleavage, you won't hear that line. Yeah, but it is a point-and-click game. You kind of have to you, click all over you, the whole screen until something happens. So, granted, granted. Yeah, one of the other th- things that kind of didn't translate when going from Roberta Williams to Bruce Balfour was th- in the original uh, Colonel's Bequest, there's this time mechanic where you have to be at a certain place at a certain time to overhear people. Mm, um, yep. That was like the core of a Laura Bow mystery. In The Dagger of Amon Ra, Laura does still do that and they still do have that time mechanic, but it's almost taken second place to the traditional inventory puzzle. Yeah. With really weird objects too, which I guess is pretty normal, but still. Time only advances if you've done all the things up to that point, it seems like in Dagger of Amun-Ra. Yes. Yeah. And rather than, you know, you're supposed to get things done before time advances, which it right. sounds like Colonel's Bequest was. Yeah. And that was kind of the core of the Colonel's Bequest. You were in, encouraged to play through again and again to hear those conversations that you missed. Right. Um, you can miss conversations in uh, the Dagger of Amon Ra, but it's not as important as missing the puzzles. Yeah. It's not the central focus of the dagger well i think the only way you can do that is by doing things out of order which i also kind of have an issue with because you don't know what order you're supposed to do things so you can miss things without like unless you're using a guide you'd never know well they do kind of uh, signpost a few things but you are right they don't signpost everything like, and if it's... you're not paying attention, then the last act, act six, is just going to gut punch you and be like, what do you know? Who do you work for? Sort of thing. And Which, that's a whole other conversation we need to have. Where's Rachel? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's it's exactly that. And I, I feel like they were on to something when kind of going for that, but... I'm not necessarily certain that that's what needed to happen to make this game great. Yeah. Like as it is, I think it's a good game, but I don't think it's a great game. Yeah, I, I don't think it's bad. I think it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of you fun. You know, it's fun. I mean, go into it knowing that, you know, it's pretty cartoony in its approach if, and logic. But <laughs> If you go into it knowing it's cartoony, and I, I will say... The three of us had an absolute 
blast going through this together just because there were so many moments where you're just like what (laughs) there's a whole lot of cringe that we were laughing about like i feel like this game if you're playing it with friends guide or no guide the cringe and the just ridiculous ideas that it puts forward can be very funny Mm -hmm. but it's not supposed to be a comedy game it's funny I've, because of its just cringy weirdness, which I feel I don't... like there is some. There's a good amount of humor in there, but yeah, it's, it's tonal whiplash that really got me. Right, and it's I like don't you're think... having fun, and then the next thing you know, you're like, "Holy shit! There's a body! Quick, loot the body!" Which is a theater <laughs> of the absurd. Yeah. I mean, like, if you're playing a first person shooter, of course you loot the body, but, um, this isn't? Well, this is a point and click adventure game, and Laura's part bird. She will collect (laughs) everything that isn't fucking nailed down. Uh, if if you, if the astute listeners will, uh, remember me saying something about her trusty dinosaur bone. Yes. In the game, (laughs) you collect a dinosaur bone and you use it to destroy things. It's, it's this game's shovel. Like you use it yep. to break glass. You use it to More break like a, a statue. Bat. Yeah, it's <laughs> it is hilarious. She just grabs this bone. It, the, the the display said, "Please touch," and Laura said, "Okay." You pick it up and put it in your purse. Pick it up <laughs> and place it in your purse. <laughs> yeah, you, you hear it. that a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> those two things you'll hear a lot. You, you pick it up and place it in your purse and don't touch it. You don't know where it's been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or like, or if we're, you know, if, if if it's the two of us watching Chandler play, it, it ends up being don't, 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 don't touch it. Yep. <laughs> don't, 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 I'm don't, pixel don't hunting, damn it. <laughs> you, you pick it up, you pick it up, you pick it up and place it in your purse. Mm-hmm. Just with, like, you yeah. Know, record scratch <laughs> yeah you yeah. could do a little dj you know breakdown <laughs> unless it's yeah. a corpse then do touch it touch it yes. all <laughs> you all need to it. find that evidence on that body and you're gonna have to stick your fingers in its mouth yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's i i think the problem is it has a lot of tonal whiplash like oh. yeah I, really I'd say that's replash. one of its biggest problems, and that quiz at the end needs to go. That's just, oh, just a terrible idea. I like th- there should have been there should have been a big like exposition thing instead, where Laura Bow could do the Hercule Poirot thing and tell everybody what happened. Yeah, you know, like that's really sh- how it should have gone. Well, so, especially like if if the if the game was set up in a way where you really were kind of sleuthing your way through things instead of kind of like I think what you mentioned earlier, Chandler, was that you a lot of the time you just sort of are stumbling into situations. And I think, yeah, I haven't mentioned that, that yeah. but yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. Cool. I mean, yeah, that. But it, <laughs> yeah, you you kind of well, you kind of stumble in a lot of situations in the game, and you some of it is kind of sleuthing, but. You're sleuthing in a weird way, because you're, like, listening in on conversations, and what you're getting from conversations is, hey, these two characters are going to meet up and have a conversation later that they don't, they want to have in private, so you should go listen to it. Have but there's, there's seen... not, like, a lot of, like, connecting the dots of, like, 
oh, I think it's this person, or oh, wow, this leads me over to this conclusion. Right. It's right. It's kind of like, oh, this clue tells me that the next clue will be here. And so you're like gathering clues, gathering clues. And then at the end, it's like, okay, what's the puzzle? And you're like, I don't feel like I know. I I just have this shit in <laughs> I, my purse. I'll just yeah. use shit on the thing and see if it works. Have you guys seen Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead? Uh-uh. I haven't. It's amazing. Um. Well, <laughs> so I'll explain. So Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. It's basically like comedic Hamlet fan fiction. So okay. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Hamlet's friends in Shakespeare's play. And, and they're just randomly killed in the third act. And they, no do, yeah, they get dead in the third act. So, so Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. It's, I'm just going to be a little reductive. Like the movie is fucking amazing. Any of you who haven't seen it, go see it. Um, especially if you like Shakespeare. Um, I think we got great. homework, Tom. It, it does a lot of really cool <laughs> things, but, but the thing that's kind of that just why it kind of stuck in my mind suddenly is that, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead is it follows Rosencrantz and Guildenstern like on the periphery of the play. So the play is going on, but we're following them when they're not quote on stage. And there's this whole like thing that they are in a play and discussions of determinism and things like that. And it's really great. But as you were describing, like, Laura Bow just wandering around and listening to people and picking things up randomly and trying to go through the pockets of corpses, I'm like, <laughs> she's not actually the protagonist. Hmm. What we're playing is sort of like a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, where we're on the periphery of the story, just running into things. And then suddenly, in the case of the Dagger of Amun-Ra, at the end, it's we have all of the pieces to say what happened, maybe. But you don't. But you don't really, because you've been wandering around and maybe listening to people and picking things up. And again, sort of symptomatic of the kind of point and click genre and um, and the way those puzzles work and it's it is true i mean it's kind of like if if i'm i would not be surprised to learn that a few at least a few of our listeners might have been a dm for D &D in the past oh yeah and it's (laughs) all three of us have uh and one thing that is very 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 hard to do when you are guiding a player or a set of players um, through a scenario is drop hints that aren't like, well, duh, it's this guy levels of um, obvious, but are also, you know, you need to leave like a level of ambiguity, but also guide them in a specific direction to give them enough clues to put it together. And it is really yeah. hard to mm-hmm. balance, you know, making it a challenge, but not impossible and also not just brain dead easy. Um, and I feel like what the developers of this game did is they leaned way too far into the subtle. They're like, well, we don't want to make it obvious. So they made it like, like non-existent clues. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like that's kind of the trademark of, uh, a Sierra game though. Yeah, it (laughs) really is. Like now that you've described it (laughs) that way. Did you buy the guidebook? No? Well, screw you. (laughs) You get these two big middle fingers. (laughs) You better call our our service to get help and pay us. (laughs) Pay up for our DLC suckers. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Uh, Yeah. 
I think that's a really good point is that it just there's just not enough information communicated to the player about what is going on and what different clues and pieces of information mean relative to the major you know to the overarching plot yeah which i think your point about it would be more satisfying if like because like i kind of enjoy the sensation of being confused when you're like watching a mystery and you're like i have no idea who did it um Uh and when you get to the end and then they do the big reveal you're like whoa cool and then you can kind of like put some pieces together um if they had had it like what you were saying with a big exposition where like Laura Bow just like solves it. She's like, well, I found this clue and then I found that clue and that led me to this and that led me to that. And that's why I think X person did the murders. You'd be like, oh, wow, that was fun. And I felt I got a rush because I, I did this, but I didn't do it. Like when you play a video game, you're supposed it's supposed to make you feel smarter than you are or more athletic than you are or better at driving than you are or whatever and in this it's like we're gonna give you no clues and we're gonna make you feel like a complete moron at the end of the game have fun (laughs) well i i think that would actually kind of solve the uh problem like if they gave you an option of like you can if you're confident in what you know you can do it otherwise you can have Laura go off of the evidence that you collected and do the exposition dump. Sure. Right. Because if you're missing you, pieces of well, evidence, that could lead to different you, endings, and that would be interesting. Right. I could you see could that. even you could even do the exposition and have it like a similar thing where you want the player to engage with your clues. So have it set up like Laura Bow talking, and then every so often you have to pick what she says next. Yeah. Yeah. Know. But not or, have consequences you know, if you get it wrong. It, yeah. Like or something like if you know but i don't know how i don't i don't know i'm just that that's a lot of theory crafting i'm not going to do to like how you could do it and make it satisfying well but you could do something like that yeah if you really wanted the player to you know show what they learned quote unquote you know in the process of the mystery but you'd also kind of have to to make that work you'd have to like really retool the story like and and the information that she gets yes you, you, know, you have to make it so that it is possible to come to the correct conclusions if you're not yeah. a savant. Do we want to, like, theory craft a little bit? Like, what would make this game better? Well, like, how, what how the adventure mechanics? Are, what's a mechanic I, do? They fix the broken things. I mean... I, I, okay. If it's like any mechanic I've seen, they usually <laughs> bitch about how the engineer fucked up everything. Exactly. Uh, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what we're job. doing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, before we do that, I... There was something that Devin said that was really fascinating to me that I kind of wanted to explore a little further. Hmm. Sure. If Laura Bow isn't the protagonist in this, who would be the protagonist? That is, like, the biggest question, like, that I have, like, from my saying that, is that if Laura Bow isn't the protagonist, who is? Because I don't think there's a very clear... It should be a vet, but they killed her, so... Yeah, I know, right? Okay, so... The most interesting person was killed, damn it. So here's here's my pitch for a redone Dagger of Amun-Ra. Okay. Okay. Here's my pitch. Kind of. Like, as far as I can do a pitch that, you know, it's going to be rambly. So anyway, so similar (laughs) setup. Laura's got this job. She's going to New York. You know, she gets there and she's been told, okay, you've got to report on this thing. 
the police are clearly not doing their job. She's intrigued by this. Like, I read on the wiki for Colonel's bequest that her father was a detective. So Ah. that's clearly where she gets that inquisitiveness and investigative. Like, she's learned stuff. You know, and obviously she's being an investigative journalist. So she's as she's like going around gathering this evidence and we'd shorten that first portion like immensely like just have it be like okay she's going to go to the police station and get the report and look at that and blah 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 whatever but i um, want to push the hobo over so i can steal his newspaper oh jesus christ <laughs> <laughs> sorry i, had to I say want every to ride in the taxi hobo pushover. i mean that's oh good lord <laughs> and <laughs> So anyway, so we, so, you know, she, she figures these things out. It's like, okay, something really must be going on. The police aren't doing their job on this mystery, you know, on this investigation. So, okay, I'm going to go to the gala and I'm going to do my thing. And if we really want to have her meet Steve, like, okay, sure. And if we really want him to show up randomly, like there has to be another reason for him to show up randomly other than, oh, I just wanted to see you again. Like he can say that to her. I'm he can say you. that to her. <laughs> I'm just a basic Ken doll. Sorry. Oh yeah, his voice is. We haven't mentioned that. His voice Jesus. is like below the basement. It's it's like <laughs> modulated to be lower you than could, it actually is. You could you could like shake houses apart with his voice. It's yeah. Uh, Hello, Laura. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Like, was he just talking? <laughs> <laughs> no, like he's he's uh, King Graham from the king's quest series except they took his voice and then took it lower mm-hmm. and yeah yeah there's some i'll put some show notes in this one because there's actually a really interesting interview um with bruce and um jack about this not jack the artist or the writer huh. sorry josh josh yeah there we go <laughs> yeah. um i'll put show notes in in this episode to those interviews because they are very yeah. fascinating like Apparently, um, the lady who voice acted Yvette actually ended up being Bruce's wife. Oh. Oh. Interesting. Yeah, like, she was the artist, ended up voice acting for Yvette, and then uh, hit it off with Bruce, and they've been married to this day, so far as I know. Wow. Well, Yeah. good for them. Yeah, two thumbs up. She is a very talented woman. Fun tid- tidbits like that, but aren't necessarily relevant. Uh, go back to th- uh, theory crafting. <laughs> yeah, sorry, <Okay. laughs> we derailed. Uh, yeah, it's okay. So, 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 we, if we have Steve, like Steve's got to have another reason, but obviously the player doesn't know that yet. So, Steve's there, whatever. So, I think it would be cool to go back to the mechanic of the time mechanic of having Laura needing to be in certain places at certain times, so that she can overhear stuff. Yes. So so there's a lot more like one might say dialogue puzzles. So she's overhearing things, she goes to places to find stuff, to hear other people, to whatever, right? Like that's mm-hmm. kind of like the puzzle. She's she's snooping, she's sleuthing, and I think that what happens is is we have Yvette and Laura team up. That'd be cool. That they're now investigating together because, you know, Yvette also thinks that something's going on. Like, something's a little bit weird. And she's emotionally invested. And she's emotionally invested. She works there. And she cares about a lot of people who are there. And perhaps her love interest 
is the one that's going to be blamed for everything because he's the easy scapegoat because he's not rich and he's not white. Yep. It is the 20s. For the time, for the time that would really work. I don't really know why I'm saying that. That still happens. So. Yeah, I know. know. It it, it happens anyway. It is America. Uh, Anyway. Yeah. Uh, uh, Anyway, moving right along. (laughs) I know. I brought it up. It's my fault. Um, So anyway, so so maybe like Yvette has two reasons to be invested. You know, she cares about the museum. She cares about Ernie. We've got things to do. Um, It would not be a fucking shooting gallery. It wouldn't be just murder after murder. We would have a few select murders. Yeah. And... Because Yvette, too, might be in danger if we really want the detective to be the bad guy and, like, have there be some kind of double cross with the theft and then the thing and then he's angry at her because she's amorous with other people. Like, sure, we can do that. But because Yvette is teamed up with Laura, she's now not going to get murdered because they're teamed up yes. and they're buddies. Yeah, so this, maybe this the chase a... happens. Hmm? This would be a great buddy cop movie. Oh, I think man. it would be awesome. Like and unlike like we had kind of said is like Yvette's like incredibly interesting. She is. Like with what we hear about her and her things and I think that her kind of personality opposite, you know, Laura who's just a little bit more proper and a little bit out of, you know, you know, a little bit like a fish out of water in New York because it's just a completely different culture, you know, I think that would be a really cool team up that you know you've got these two and so they team up and then we find out as we go along and we're doing things and maybe there's a chase and whatever um we find out that steve is an undercover investigator and maybe he's looking into the painting thefts so that that makes more sense to be perfectly honest the whole time that we were watching chandler play i was thinking to myself okay like, I was giving the game more credit than it deserved. Because I was like, Steve obviously has some kind of an ang- angle here. I'm guessing he's a detective oh, yeah. or, like, a spy oh, yeah. or, or no, there's he, something yeah. going on. He was just an, a lovesick puppy. Right. Yeah. And that like, was his I personality. This, I thought the same thing about Yvette because I was like... Well, she's, like, being thirsty on every man that she encounters. Like, I think she's using her womanly wiles to just, like, manipulate all of these men and, like, wrap them all around her fingers so she can get what she wants. Nope. Or find out something, because maybe she's an undercover investigator, too. Or working with undercover. Maybe that's how she knows Steve and why she has to go talk to Steve alone is that she's his contact. And maybe... Maybe she's doing all this stuff, and that puts her on the radar as one of the suspects. I actually was thinking yeah. that. I'm like, oh, man, she's I acting know. super yeah. weird. Like, I no one is Steve this thirsty. Be... This makes no sense. She's got to have another yeah. angle. She doesn't. I think Yvette could be. I think Steve could be. And I think it would be cool in a reworked story for it to be like, oh, like, maybe, you know, maybe Yvette does have an angle. They're teaming up. But then we find out she doesn't. And oh, that'd be we awesome. find out that Steve doesn't have another angle. That, you know, he wasn't just here for Laura, that he actually did have a mission and that he's been, you know, playing this part so that he can do his job and everything works out in the end. Um, but yeah, like actually give characters like more shit to do, like right. actually matter in the story um, <laughs> and, and give and, and play with that like expectation. Like, like kind of like you said, Tom, like I was expecting like, oh, well, Steve, Steve's not just a Stevedore. Like he's invest, he's like an undercover investigator. Like he's either a private eye or, you know something yeah like he's he's gotta be like you know undercover cop or something but he's not he's just you know 
love sick there love because because of a love interest, I guess, which I don't which understand why that was necessary. Which they don't even do a good job of setting up. Like he basically just meets her and then stalks her. That's his story. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> I mean weird. He's actually less useful than the dinosaur bone because yeah, the literally. only thing he's useful for is moving the uh, yeah. giant stone inscription to get into the dinosaur butt. Uh, yeah. Just, yeah. This game made me say some really weird things, and I'm yeah. not sure I like it. <laughs> oh, man. But, but, yeah, uh, no, but yeah, and then also... Oh, sorry. So to, it's almost... To kind of go back to like a DM reference... Um, you know, one thing that you kind of talk about that's something that you're always worried about as a DM is putting your campaign on rails, where yes. you guide the campaign so, like, dictatorially that your character, your players have to do a specific path in order to get success, and and you, you dictate the world so thoroughly that, like, the players kind of lose their autonomy. Mm-hmm. In an old game like this, you're almost forced to do that, but there's kind of a right way and a wrong way. There's a way to do it where you kind of don't feel like you're on rails. Like, yeah, the game is moving in a singular direction and there's not really much you can do to change it. But you kind of, if you make this, if you write the story well enough where it has some flow and you have characters like you're saying that have some, some dynamic qualities where you're not sure what role they're playing and maybe they're coming in and out of usefulness and stuff... It, and they're doing can, things outside of the player. Right. It can feel, mm-hmm. even though you are, like, literally on rails, you don't feel it. You don't notice it. This game puts you so thoroughly on rails because you know you have to do things in a specific order at the right time and then be in the right place at the right time and all this other stuff. Um and so you feel very guided. You feel like, well, someone's just holding my hand. I'm just clicking around the screen until the right thing happens. And then at the end, it's like, actually, you've had autonomy this whole time. You have to tell this whole story. I think that's where it it kind of makes a huge, huge, huge error that kind of breaks this game from being something good. If what oh, you're I've... describing was going on, where you're on rails, but it's going off in different directions. And so in your head, you're kind of going, ooh, maybe this person is the murderer. Oh, no, actually, they're an ally. And now I can have them help me. And oh, maybe that person's a murderer. Oh, no, they're they're a victim. And oh, man, that sucks. And you can feel like you're being led, but not railroaded. Um, and that's what the game needs. I feel like they tried for that. Um, <sighs> they went keep the in wrong mind... way. <laughs> Keep in mind, this is like an early 90s game. So we have the, um, you know, the benefits of, you know, another 20, yeah. 30 See, years. Uh, D&D has been around since the 70s, design. though. So, well, <laughs> and but to be fair, D&D, um, even up until third edition was Dungeon Crawl. Like, yeah, D&D first edition was and second edition uh, the way to get experience was getting gold out of the dungeon. Yeah, that's true. That was a valid way to get experience. That is so, true. In terms of interactive storytelling, even though, yes, D&D was around in the 70s, it wasn't to the same level that we're seeing now of a more cinematic experience, a la, yeah. like, um, Chaotic Amateurs or 
uh, was the big one. Critical role. Critical role. Thank you. Yeah. Um, See, you're you're upsetting me because I like to believe that old games just had some some kind of a je ne sais quoi that the new games don't have, and it seems like every time we do one of these old retro games, what we end up doing is breaking it down and being like, you know, these old games have all these problems because they're old games, and the new games do this stuff better. Well, it's kind of a weird contradiction. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, like, this is a story-heavy game, and yes, they did hire a writer as the director, but it's interactive fiction, and I'm sure yeah. Devin can explain that a lot better than I can, but interactive fiction is written in a very different way than writing a novel, because yeah. in yeah. a novel, if you read this in the form of a novel, then this could be a... Uh, Raymond Chandler or uh, uh, Near Wolf novel, right? Uh, yeah, except it'd be lacking all the quality. <laughs> well, yeah, but if you took the same plot and put it into a Raymond Chandler novel, it would be a decent detective rag. Hmm. And I would say detective rag specifically. But <laughs> it's an interactive medium and I mean, video games haven't been around long enough for them to really get the interactive part. Like, I would even argue today the quote-unquote interactive stories that we see are somewhat lacking. Oh, yeah. I mean, sometimes they do it better than others, but yeah. in the it's AAA a, space, that doesn't exist, really. <laughs> like, it's a very, yeah. very difficult thing to do. There's no doubt. Yeah. I, what I, and That's I'm not, why I'm, I'm defending not, it. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm not saying that it what they did you know wasn't difficult or anything i just feel like they even compared to other games of the time um it it felt very disjointed and jarring kind of like we were talking about and i feel like that if we're going to criticize it if we're going to if we're going to pick apart the engineering as any good mechanic would um <laughs> that's the part i'm going to pick on the hardest that's the spot where i'm gonna go yeah you guys you guys really should have reworked that and i think it is possible for them to have done better i'm not saying they oh, yeah. should have done it perfectly but i i would definitely say that that is it's that's it that's this game's achilles heel um I'll agree with that, but I'm also putting it in the perspective of having to play through the, uh, Lure of the Temptress, which had oh, yeah. a Ugh. plot that was schizophrenic. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> but, yeah, so that's kind of the perspective I'm coming from here. I wonder how, <laughs> like, much, oh. I wonder how much of this is... I mean, because I, I feel like all of these things are, are things that could have been realized back then, but I don't know. I don't know. It is an interesting topic. Maybe we'll have to do like a whole breakdown discussion at some point on at what point are we allowed to really pick on games harshly? Uh, um, current games, I give full full uh, permission on that one. They have no <laughs> excuse. <laughs> they are current. <laughs> oh man, that is a moving target. <laughs> I know. That's why I said it. I, I think I think this is an interesting question because it's really, I think, maybe the eternal question of anyone who does reviews or critiques of any media. Yeah. I, um, I, I mean, and I don't know if that there's a good answer. Like, I, uh, 
I don't, I mean, I don't know. Like when, you know, is because, mm, you know, you should give folks the benefit of the doubt, right? Not rag on them too hard. Um, having that context of, especially looking at something so old. Right. As the game we're talking about today. Um, looking at something of that age, you know, and thinking about the context in which it was made and, you know, were there other development issues? Like how, you know, you know, because with games, like you, you have so many moving parts to make a game. Right. Um, Making a game is very rough. Right. And you have to have the writers that talk to the artists, that talk to the programmers, that talk to the, everybody's got to be talking and, you know, is the leadership doing what they're supposed to be doing? I mean, you can see that with, you know, older stuff, but also with newer stuff. Like, just look at anything that's come out of Bioware in the last few years. Um, and, and the stories about that, you know. So it's, I don't know. Like, so, I mean, I guess, I, I think in a way when we talk about these things and we say, like, especially like, for example, with my, like, here's my pitch for a better dagger of Amun Ra is it's not to, you know, downplay what was, what is the game that we have or to say that it was done, you know, poorly or the people did a bad job. It's, you know, of course we're looking at it with a lens, you know, the lens of being adults in 2020. Um, and, and times are very, very different from the nineties Oh yeah, and that the truth. <laughs> yeah. And especially and, this you year, know, and huh, so anyway. yeah, yeah, <laughs> and 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 you know, so we so we're looking at it with that and being like, well, how? Because in a way, it's like, well, not only is it would this be quote a better game unquote, but it's also how can we update this to work now? Right. Like, how could we have this game now? Which is an anachronism because we don't have that game now. We only have the game that was made then. Um, so I think maybe, you know, we can, you know, poke a bit of fun at it and, 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 ke- and keep it to task as well. Like, for example, with some of the stuff that's really not appropriate, like, you know, the click box for Yvette's cleavage, for example, <laughs> like, it's like, you know, we can hold them to task for that, oh, yeah. you know, and, and things, but, um, and, and of course, you know, say in our opinion, you know, I prefer this. I don't prefer this. I think this would have been better. Um, but I think in saying a lot of those things too, it's good to keep in mind, you know, we're talking about a game that came out in 90, 92. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, you know, yeah. I'm just happy. I'm not the one defending this time. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know that I'm necessarily defending. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, you're contextualizing it. I, I'm trying. Yeah, that's more what I want to do because I'm just glad I can you know, fill what's... my role as resident jerk who points out all the flaws of the old game that doesn't probably oh, deserve it. I don't plan on changing. Uh, <laughs> but but I mean, you know, that's sort of the exploration that we're doing here, right? Right. Like with everything that we've talked about, like we talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, what would make it better, you know, things like that. It's just um. Y- and I think in previous episodes, and, and maybe Chandler can correct if this is not true, since he's the editor, he's listened to all of them, he knows all the things. Um, <laughs> but I think we've kind of been walking, like, you know, walking that line, like, you know, oh, this stuff was really bad in this game, or this stuff wasn't, and it kind of, like, depending on how we feel about the game, personally, um that's sort of like where the different dynamics in the conversation comes from. Cause I feel like with Dagger of Amun-Ra, 
we might have all thought it was okay, but we don't really have much connection to it beyond it was fun to play with each other and, you know, watch Chandler play and, and, and chat about it and make jokes. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's, it's a decent enough game. Like, it's not bad. It's just sort of a, well, I would prefer to see other things if it were made today, but obviously... It, it's not. It yeah. As opposed to, you know, Subnautica, which, you know, I have a lot of strong feelings about. <laughs> I think yeah. Whole three episodes, and we could have went longer. I was going to say, yeah. I think we all have strong opinions I, I and think feelings we all about did. that game. Yeah. 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 If any of if any listeners have come to this one first and haven't heard the Subnautica ones, uh, go listen to them. We really uh, are not <laughs> neg- negative about every single game, I swear. We're really not. Yeah, we... <laughs> We had a lot to say, um, and and I think our conversations are pretty balanced. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think we try to be. And honestly, a I lot guess... of the games that are like this, where they're like full of flaws, that is actually mm-hmm. what made this game fun. Um, I would yeah, not yeah. enjoy playing this game by myself. I would absolutely no way ever sit down and work through this game by myself because I think it would be right. tedious. Right. Playing it oh, with also... you guys is a blast. It is a game that requires an audience in order to enjoy. Um, an audience or patience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you really yeah. want to play it, I just don't... I think without a strong story and without strong mechanics... And this is from a modern perspective, and I recognize that. But there's not a lot of reason to play it, at least in this in these day and age, by yourself unless you're just really into that kind of a game. But when you're playing with this game with friends, there's a lot of reason to play it. We had so much fun just poking at it and being truly mean to the game and uh, laughing at all of its ridiculousness and enjoying, honestly, some of the really cool artwork. And um, Oh, that, that's something we do have to talk about. <laughs> yeah, the art is cool. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I think you're right about that, though. Like, there are, uh, this is going to sound so businesslike, but there are paradigms that have shifted from the adventure game era to modern storytelling that this game really didn't age well. And I, I feel like mm-hmm. one of the problems with comedy in particular is that mm-hmm. aging, or when comedy ages, it since it pokes at the absurdity sometimes the absurdity isn't what it used to be right yeah well a lot of comedy goes it's supposed to be like where you go just over the edge to just make people a little bit uncomfortable and since that's a moving target sometimes what's just a little over the edge at one time period is so far over the line (laughs) in later time periods yeah and that's that's perfectly fair i feel like that's part of the problem with the humor in this game yeah is mm. it was made for humor in the 90s and not necessarily humor now yeah and it but it, it did the poking at the edge type of humor you can do humor without doing that but that's not what this game did well occasionally yeah, yeah. sometimes it did. <laughs> the okay the the one genuinely uh funny joke that, that made me like laugh out loud was when you look at the uh case that the dagger was in in the egyptian exhibit if you touch it oh yes. the case just falls over and crashes onto the floor and shatters everywhere and then the uh narrator says you you 
crack the case of the dagger of Amon Ra. <laughs> and like the most deadpan uh, way possible. And you're like, oh, dad joke. Uh, uh, also, yeah, I enjoyed great. that the, the, the fake dagger says made in China on it. That was, that was, it was made in Pittsburgh. Was it Pittsburgh? Made in Pittsburgh. Oh. Made in yep. Pittsburgh. I don't know why made I remember China. China would have been funnier. Oh, well. Well, nowadays everything's made in China, but. 1926 yeah, then there was yeah that's, that's what pittsburgh was for you get your medal from pittsburgh that's a good point yeah. that's a good point <laughs> uh, um <laughs> yeah uh we, we, we should probably talk about the artwork real quick um yes. so the for the astute listeners they'll notice the museum's name was lion decker um that's it's specifically the jc lion decker museum yeah is the setting mm-hmm. yeah and um for uh people that have studied art history will note lion decker is actually pretty prolific in terms of commercial artwork and if you compare his artwork to the art in the dagger of amon ra you'll see a very strong connection which yep. explains some of the almost amateurish um rudimentary brush strokes that they put into some of the art um like overall it's very good like laura bow's expressions when she finds a corpse or walks in on yvette with somebody are top notch like they're very well done but then like you'll look at the train station and you look at the rooftop and it just kind of looks like somebody smeared a pastel on it instead of actually putting hints of detail and that's at first i thought that was just kind of a flub from the art department but that was very intentionally a lion decker callback yeah it doesn't come across well in the the pixelated art style of of the game like in that low res It, it doesn't come across well but once you know that they're trying to emulate the bold brushstrokes on the borders of lion decker paintings it makes a lot more sense um, yeah. what they're going for but it just doesn't come across very clear that that's what it's supposed to be because like chandler said it's it's sort of like weird smears in the background yep uh that you wonder why is it like that everywhere's like that there must be a reason yeah yeah yep and it it does it looks kind of off i i think that's one of those things where it's a decision that i think it's a decision you could really only make in the 90s to be like we're going to call back to this this fairly obscure... I mean, you're an art history major, so you don't count. I had never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I'm getting called out here. Damn. <laughs> uh, oh, God uh, damn. But yeah, like, I, you know, I've obviously never heard of this person, and I would imagine that the vast majority of people playing the game without that kind of a background would have no context for what that was. And when you add the fact that it is super pixelated so that it doesn't translate well, it just looks weird and kind of, you have to have the context for it. Once you have it, you're like, oh, cool. But without it, you're just like, huh? And I think you could do that art style today with much better resolution and without any knowledge, you'd be like, oh, that's kind of like an artistic touch. I like that. But it just didn't work well in this but that said i have to say if you do know jc landaker's work and you're familiar with like a lot of his paintings 
There's um, a lot to love. It's really quite gratifying because once you get to like some of the quote cutscenes where you have still images of like, you know, Laura in her party dress and Laura and Steve Dorian, like they're patterned directly off of paintings. Yes. Like her dress comes directly out of Elaine Decker painting. Um, a lot of the way that they're posed in these still images are like straight out of his paintings. So if you do know that, it's kind of cool. It is. Because you go, oh, somebody did their research. They weren't just throwing around some random artist's name. Like, they did. There's a reason. Yeah, but like you said, if you don't know that, it's kind of like, okay, sure. Right. And you're just kind of like, <laughs> that, why does everything that... look a little weird and kind of <laughs> grainy and smeary? I don't understand. Yeah. But some stuff isn't. I was... It's like backgrounds only. Yeah. Like, the stuff that's in the foreground, they obviously because it's a game had to make things fairly clear so that you kind of knew what you were looking at. So there's kind of almost like two art styles going at once and it, it well, kind of mm -hmm. clashes again. You could do that successfully with modern tools, but in the nineties it was a really cool, really ambitious idea. I just, I'm guessing it fell completely flat on most of the audience, but some people out there was like, that, Oh, Easter egg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it is an easier dragon. Yeah. It's great. Um, yeah, but I I kind of want to just step up to the plate and play defender on this because it is a very bold choice to go with Lion Decker and mm -hmm. it, oh yeah, like he's intentionally smudgy in the background, so that kind of helps with making. Uh, scenes because you only have to put detail where you need the detail. The rest of it can be a mm -hmm. smudgy blur. Who cares? Yep. True. And you can just be kind of you can kind of evoke the background. You yeah. don't necessarily have to really like go all out on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I think that was a good choice artistically, even given the limitations. Because although Laura's walk cycle is absolutely horrific, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, the uh, artwork that they made that they use to do her sprite work is amazing. Yeah. Like she, every character in here is very well done and very, very detailed in yes. the lion decker style. And it just tickles me to, to play it. I will say the, uh, the, the, the style of the pixel art, even aside, I mean like it's totally, you're right. It is totally lion decker and you get these like, stills it's like the the old school equivalent of a cutscene. essentially is what it what it feels like and yeah. they're highly 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 detailed really beautiful pixel art and knowing nothing about art they are awesome those moments yeah. are really really cool they also have a very distinct 20s feel to them um, it's glorious it helps kind of set up Love the it. time frame i do i really do like that even as someone who doesn't have uh uh you know any artistic background um but i do remember at the same time when we first started playing this game and none of us knew this fact um i remember distinctly with you chandler there was the train scene with the roof of the building and you were just like what the hell is going on on the roof of that building it looks so bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah and yeah I, mean, I think i actually at that point realized that there must be a reason and so i went <laughs> looking because i was like wait the name of the museum is lane decker is this is this a reference yeah yeah <laughs> and so i think maybe what they what might have been a better choice given the limitations of the time would have been to have like 
more standard, I guess you could say, art when you're wandering around the room or like the world. And then I love those cutscenes. I don't think that you have to have that same kind of art style in the main game because it ends up looking overly grainy and kind of confusing. But then to have those callouts, especially since they're like almost direct callouts to specific art pieces, that's cool. And they look fantastic and they stand alone. You don't need the context to be able to appreciate them. Um, I'll grant that. I'll definitely grant that. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys have anything else to kind of add about the artwork? No. No, it's cool. Okay. It's really cool. You will enjoy it. And it has aged well. It, yes. It stands up to the test of time. It it stands up a hell of a lot better than any <laughs> PS1 3D graphics. Let's go oh, with yeah. that. Oh, yeah. early 3d was harsh early 3d was not kind it it just was very unforgiving sometimes you got to take a couple steps back in order to move forward and that is that definitely what happened then this this looks beautiful you're right though her walk cycle is just jarring the animation itself is not that bad the animation's really good it does not match the background in yeah, they did not match her <laughs> footsteps to the ground, which is yeah. a classic uh, issue when you look at uh, most walk cycles. Yes. <laughs> Thank nice, you, Duolingo. Nice, uh, nice alert <laughs> in the background there <laughs> at the same time. Well, now I can't edit that out. <laughs> but yeah, her walk cycle is... Uh, like it's It's a decent walk cycle, but because they couldn't rely on a uh, certain clock speed they didn't even really try with her walk cycle to match the floor and that uh, i complained about that a lot and yeah thankfully well, and her walk speed initially is just agonizingly slow yeah and that's related to a tech limitation of the it engine. is although when you speed her up enough to move yeah she like hyper uh, moonwalks but forward everywhere <laughs> that skill though oof i don't know how she does know, it yeah <laughs> i feel like i don't know maybe i'm wrong in this i am not a programmer but i feel like there there's got to be a better way for them to solve that problem but i don't know they, there is a better way it takes more time and money <laughs> oh okay <laughs> well you know if anybody's looked at uh sierra's uh output for 1992 alone yeah, they didn't have a whole lot of time. <laughs> like, uh, the, for context, like, Bruce had, like, th- uh, like, maybe six months to do this game with his staff. Do you know, do you know if That's... this game shared an engine with any other games at the time? Oh, yeah. Like, all Sierra oh, games yeah. shared an engine at this point. So what you're saying is they had plenty of time to develop a good engine and then crank out a million games using the same mechanics. Well, Sierra ran, ran into the, uh, what was it, Double Fine? No. The same developers that did um, the Walking Dead story game. Hmm. Why can I not? Oh, Telltale. Telltale, thank you. Oh, I cannot think of names today. Uh, yeah, they ran into the same Telltale issue. Um where they had one engine and they had to make as much as they could off of it. Um, and it ended up becoming a formula that kind of killed them, honestly. Yeah. 
That's so fair. They were Telltale before Telltale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so do you guys have any thoughts on the music or voice acting? Hmm. I know we talked about caricatures, but... <laughs> oh, the voice acting. Yeah, that's... We've already discussed it, so there's not much more to say other than go play the game and You'll get a you're either going to laugh your butt off or you're going to cringe pretty much every time a character is talking. And in that case, you can turn off the, the voice acting. Yeah, but then you're still stuck with the text, which is almost worse. So, nope, <laughs> there's no avoiding okay, it. Okay, granted. <laughs> it granted. forces your mental voice to sound just as cliche and bad. <laughs> get ya, get ya hotter. Uh, what what is it? Get your hotter sandwich here. Uh, yep. Uh, it's it's not a spoiler. It's in the first ten minutes. <laughs> yep. You run into that guy. Uh, if you're worried about spoilers and you're still listening, how did you, you make it stop through? worrying about spoilers? Yeah. How did you make it through? <laughs> Maybe you're not as concerned about spoilers as you think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, granted, that was that was a silly comment on my part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the the music in it's pr- pretty good where they have it most of it's unremarkable except for the speakeasy music which is awesome and hilarious at the same time which is i want to marry an archaeologist <laughs> yeah really just need to look it up and listen to it it is glorious it's yeah it's something i was gonna say that's the only song i actually remember out of the whole game i was like you asked about the music and i'm like there was music in the game yeah that's what i was thinking like Like, i was sitting here trying to think of like what other music there was but the only thing i could think of was the speakeasy song which is pretty amazing it's also the credits song it plays over the credits i want to marry an archaeologist I also got completely mesmerized because in the speakeasy there's like this couple dancing and it's the animation for it is memorable I don't know you were distracted by those dancers but I think that pianist was just a cardboard cutout just hooked up to a Roomba yeah the (laughs) the pianist was hilarious the dancers were really cool I don't know there's the I get fascinated with pixel art because it's really, really, really hard to animate pixels into fluid movement. And there's this uh, this couple dancing in, in, in the speakeasy where her dress is like flowing back and forth and it looks super smooth. And I was like, the developers spent way too much time on this one woman's dress because <laughs> it's fantastic animation especially when compared to the guy dancing with her it's so funny yeah because there's like there's like some people in there are like like you said cardboard cutouts and then there's this woman's dress that is just like beautifully flowing back and forth and i'm like someone spent a ton of time on the dress and they were like hey you know you have to get this done today right and he's like Oh my god! And he like slapped together the the pianist and like <laughs> here we'll just do this this hop that looks like a person <laughs> ah, go fast so you end up with this incredible dress and not a whole lot else <laughs> oh which is funny but anyway that's all I remember of the speakeasy honestly oh yeah there there was there's more that we could talk about the speakeasy but I think we've 
kind of said all we really should say about it because it is definitely kind of a cartoon game it is it is uh there is one funny thing about the speakeasy though uh isn't that where laura just sort of like steals some clothing or something no that's where she changes into her uh salvation army uh dress oh yeah that just happens to fit her perfectly yeah yeah right in front of a uh flapper i think is how they describe the lady in the women's lounge yep does anybody remember the specific wording i'm not sure i don't either okay but yeah um that was a very (laughs) awkward scene if you play the game you'll know exactly what we're talking about it was so funny your guys's reaction to that because i already played that uh scene before i was like no that's kind of weird and then like you guys were just like uh what (laughs) (laughs) that's one of those that's one of the parts i I mentioned earlier that there are parts where you go a guy wrote this like oh yeah one of them (laughs) a very thirsty guy who yeah yeah he wanted that scene we'll just put it that way (laughs) there's actually a worse scene in the uh colonel's bequest but we might not get to that point Uh, i'm not gonna make you guys go through that game that one aged a lot worse but uh yeah um so do you guys have any closing thoughts on this one um play with friends it's a riot (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I think it's a decent enough game, but it's definitely nowadays going to be more fun, like, to play with a friend or a group of friends and just, you know, have fun with it. Um, it's definitely not a serious mystery, so if that's what you're going for, you're going to be disappointed. It's definitely more of a comedy game with, you know, the focus on, like, kind of the caricature characters and, and, and such like. But, um, but I, I mean, I think it's... I think it's a decent game. Um, it's okay. Uh, it has some moments, and it's fun to play with other people and just kind of comment on it and and just have fun, you know? Yeah. I'll that's agree. my recommendation. <laughs> well, that's fair. I, I personally thought it had some interesting ideas with the time mechanic, and I think they should have focused on that one a little bit more. But yeah, the, mm-hmm. with the limitations that they had on it, I'm... Yeah. It honestly turned out to be a pretty decent game, all things considered. Yeah, for being made in six months, I mean... I actually don't know how long it took, but it was... <laughs> well, like, yeah, I mean, the even... interviews they were uh, with Bruce that I've read that was like, oh yeah, we had like no time to do this. Yeah, well, I, I seem to recall there was... Uh, maybe it was not while we were recording, but an early game that we talked about. We talked about the development cycle of the, a lot of these early games in the early 90s. Um, and how they were really, really short uh, turnaround. Um, so I mean that they that they came out with a game of the quality that they that they did in that short a time, I think is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. because it's not completely broken and it's not completely ridiculous. What just out of curiosity, this came out in ninety two. When did the dig come out? Ninety six. Ninety six. It should be telling that this game felt more cohesive in some ways. Hey, to be fair, on the dig, the dig was... Oh, 95 on the dig. The dig went through three different development teams and, like, a dozen different engines. 
That yeah, is true. It, it was in development hell for a very, very long time. <laughs> Compared it to was... The Dig, this was a pretty smooth game. I think the only thing The Dig really had on this was art. And I would say... And music. And I liked The Dig a little bit better than this. That's but fair. again, like, The Dig had a little bit more cohesive tone throughout. You know, yeah. It, yeah, it didn't have it the was, tonal whiplash. It didn't have a lot of tonal whiplash. Um, it didn't have much tone at all. It that <laughs> is also a true statement. <laughs> um, but yeah, like going into Dagger of Amun Ra, looking for like a pretty good mystery game, and kind of coming away feeling like, did we really solve a mystery? What is going on here? Huh? Yeah. It was very comedic, but not a lot of mystery. But it wasn't comedic enough to be a comedy. Yeah. I, I kind of viewed it as like a Nero Wolf mystery almost. Where yeah. it has a lot of funny moments, but people are dropping like flies because that's a Nero yeah. Wolf mystery. So many but people die. Nero Wolf still like Nero Wolf still has like a consistent tone though. Like you get a lot of like the jokiness because of the main character you know, Archie Goodwin, like, in his, you know, narration of the stories and how all the characters kind of interact. I, I feel like that's a little a little different. But I see what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> That it was trying to go, maybe they were trying to go in that direction, but didn't quite make it. I think Nerewolf novels are actually pretty well written, considering they didn't really get at it. But, um, no, there was like no editing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like I, I feel like if the writer wasn't as talented, you might end up with something like the Dagger of Amon Ra. Yeah, okay, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. That's what I was getting at mostly. Okay, yeah, yeah, I, I get you. I, I can see that. I agree. <laughs> That's, that seems legit. So that's about all I have to say about it. It's it's a decent romp. Um, don't take it seriously. Be sure to at least reference a walkthrough, especially if you're getting stuck because you won't be able to call yes. in for the uh, Sierra hotline to get clues. <laughs> yeah, let's so. be real. You don't want to pay them any more money than you already did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you didn't pay them anything at all. Exactly. <laughs> but, okay, well... Let's uh, go ahead and call it here. Uh, yeah. What did I say? Yeah, I'm good. Well, we've been the Adventure Mechanics. I'm Chandler. I'm Devin. And I'm Tom. And we will talk to you next time. Bye. Don't touch that. Don't touch it. You don't know where it's been. <laughs> <laughs>